Kamenetsky Brothers Podcast, Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky. It is Thursday, the 25th, 4th, 5th, 5th? What do you think, Andy? Uh, tw- I'm not 100% sure, but I think it's, <laughs> it's the 20-something. 20 20 yeah. Um, either way, uh, we like to think of ourselves as the Secret Society of Lakers Podcasts, and we're here. we got a lot to cover, Andy. Um, the Lakers are suddenly hot, like red hot, like break up the Lakers hot as they head out onto this five-game road trip. Uh, they've won seven of nine. All the negativity of the last couple of weeks has been swept away. They're coming off a huge win Tuesday night against the Celtics um, at full strength, even though they did not have Lonzo Ball. Yes, yeah, so we're going to we'll mention a little bit of that because Lonzo may not play on this trip. Luke was asked about that Thursday at practice and uh, poorly. Yeah, and he was well. No, he was asked. <laughs> That's true. We'll we'll get to this. This is foreshadowing. It's a tease. Uh, he was asked about Lonzo and Luke, who is not a doctor, unlike former teammates, was. Hesitant to put a timeline, um, put a timeline on it. So Lonzo may play, he may not. Uh, but the defenses stayed very consistent. The free throw shooting is not. Uh, we'll get into maybe uh, what Luke has done to help pull them out of this. And we got a lot of Oscar talk too. Uh, Plus with the NBA drama. Out. There's just drama right, just all over the, the place. Yeah, this week in tea leaves is going to be really big in terms of figuring out who is coming to LA this summer and who is not. So a lot of news on that front. But let's start with the with the turnaround, Andy, because. You know, I, I think I've done a pretty good job of trying to not get too deep into any single moment. And I was a little more optimistic than you were a couple weeks ago, I think, when things were going really poorly. But I did not expect any stretch over any part of the season where the Lakers would win seven of nine. Yeah. I just didn't, th- I did, did not think that was going P- to particularly happen. Particularly considering the last three have been without Lonzo. And this team, you know, we saw when they lost nine in a row, a good chunk of that was without Lonzo. They were really struggling to to win without him, in part, too, because Brandon Ingram's performances are often linked to uh, Lonzo's presence. And we've He's seen, actually, better. over the last three games, you know, about the only negative that you can uh, – I, I mention that because the Lakers are currently on a three-game winning streak, and they, they've won uh, seven of the last nine. But during this three-game winning streak, the last three games that Lonzo – I mean, that Ingram has played, he scored uh, 25 combined points. Uh, he scored only seven to eleven from the field um, against Boston, four assists against three turnovers, and you know he he might still be feeling the effects of that ankle and stuff. But I, I do think a lot of it is just his job becomes so much yeah, more I, difficult. I, I, I don't think without I don't think it's health. I think it's it, the role changes because Ingram is an excellent passer. I mean, particularly for somebody of his relative inexperience and and where he plays on the floor and all that kind of stuff. He's an excellent passer, but he's a passer in the kind of the Kobe mold of things where it comes off the attack it's like my gravity as a player getting to the basket and taking mid-range shots going to bring people and i will find you if you are open and and very willing to do it the kind of passing of like organize the offense get everybody in the right spot which is a a lot of what they ask him to do when lonzo's not there he's not as good at that and i think when he has to focus on those things it takes away from the other stuff and so that they've gotten good performances out of Alex Caruso, for example, um, you know, who's played a lot more than Tyler Ennis recently. That makes a difference. Jordan Clarkson is back to being not just good Jordan, like the guy who keeps his head up and moves the ball and all that. He's been like spectacular Jordan over the last three games with the scoring and the efficiency and all that. But, you know, to no Lonzo Ingram not dominating and they've still won seven of nine. 
I think it, it speaks to the most important thing this year, and I think the biggest thing that we can honestly say at this point is a real thing. The Lakers are a good defensive team. And, you know, right, I'm looking at basketball reference right now. They're back up to 13th, I think, depending on your metric, your met, you know, who, how you calculate it, they might be even a little bit higher. That is incredible. 40 whatever games into the season for the Lakers to be a top, basically top 10, top third defensive team, Andy, is way better than I think anybody could have reasonably expected. Oh, my God. I mean, it's far better. I mean, they've been 28-30-30 in the last three years. There was, I I think, some optimism that they could improve a little bit just in the sense that Brooke Lopez was going to give them more presence in the middle than anybody they had last year because Mozgov pretty quickly was out of the rotation or certainly wasn't playing the type of minutes that they had hoped for when they gave him that gargantuan contract. You know, KCP... Was it that big? (laughs) You know, KCP, I think... Is not a great man, you know, man defender, but he can be disruptive. He, he's at least he's more he, experienced. He, he, he most of the time pays attention on that. He's like right. he's he 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 considers it part of his profile. Right, exactly, and and just that type of presence, you know, could be helpful. But Lonzo is a better defender than any of us expected coming mm-hmm. in. Josh Hart is way more advanced defensively than anybody would have expected, even with a defensive reputation getting drafted out of Villanova. You know, uh, Julius Randall's, Randall's, Randall's a big difference Randall is in a terms of big, the consistency. Not always perfect, but the consistency yes. on that end's been much better. Yeah, so I mean, the, that they've managed to become this effective defensively is beyond what anybody, but it's, certainly it's, myself included. No question. And I think, and, it, and it's even more amazing, I think, when you consider their t- how, not just how bad they are offensively, but why they're bad offensively. They don't shoot well at all. They don't score well at all, which means... They're, they're not, it's not like the other team's constantly taking the ball out of their own basket, which makes a big difference for you defensively. And they turn the ball over a ton. So they do two things that make it hard to play good defense. You know, they get a lot of long rebounds, all that stuff, and they can't shoot. And they give the ball away. Mm-hmm. And so when you can do that and still be a top third defensive team, give or take, I think it's really impressive. And if you're, if you're making a list of this, the stuff, and it's a good seg into Luke, of, of, what has gone really well because they've done this without like you say adding defensive players of the year this is a i think a a good example of a, a legitimate culture change like guys are doing it because they realize this is how they need to do it or they're not going to play and there have been a few times this year where you know like kuzma the other night luke luke yanked him off the floor we thought it might have been because of his finger but he was asked after the game you know did you did you why did you pull kyle he wasn't playing any defense he's pulled randall a lot because he wasn't playing defense it's it's clearly kcp because he wasn't playing playing defense. defense and he's one of their guys it is this is an area where i think it's clearly started to sink in and if this part of the culture change lasts next year when theoretically they have a different roster that'll really i think validate that part of what luke is doing yeah there's no question um it was a couple weeks ago where luke's job was being questioned uh both on this continent and another one uh, Jeannie Buss came out this week with a an unequivocal show of yes. support on that was with Cassidy Hubbard. Yes, she was being asked about uh, whether Luke Walton would be coaching for the remainder of this season, and also would he be a part of the summer plans? Essentially, will he be there for free agency? Jeannie said, "Absolutely, Luke Walton is the Lakers' coach. Period. There's no worrying about it. There's no speculation. That's what this He's is done about. a terrific <laughs> job. He is somebody the the entire front office, the organization is behind." Now that's the type of, you know, just 
no reservations, no ambiguity type of statement that a lot of people, myself included, was looking for from the organization. If it wasn't going to come from Magic Johnson, I think people really wanted to hear it from, then you at least wanted to hear it in those type of mm-hmm. terms from Jeannie, who obviously is you know the final say on everything, no matter how much she will claim that she stays out of basketball decisions. So I, if you're gonna, if people were gonna bag on Luke for get the 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 situation they were in a couple weeks ago, where it, it had gotten dark in the locker room. This is you know Andrew Bogut's talking about guys not knowing what they're gonna be, and people are focused on the the trade deadline and all these other things. And it was dark in there. There's a the middle of the losing streak, and I tended to blame a lot that more on the context. But you know, Luke's the coach, so. Some of that goes to him. I asked him today, uh, practice, Thursday practice, what his messaging was to try to get guys out of that space. Um, and I, I thought his response was good. I just, I always, I just, I talk to him. I'm honest with him. I said, look, um, may you, could you get traded? Yeah, anyone can get traded. Uh, there's, you can't say names anymore, but if someone offers a superstar for half the raw, it's going to happen. If, Pops comes out and says, "Hey, I want to coach in the Lakers." Guess what? I'm out of here. You know what I mean? Like, so it's just the way uh, our business is. So don't don't spend my you know don't spend your your mind space, um, you know your time on on thinking about you know what could happen. Let's just let's stay locked in on what we're doing. Uh, and for us, like a lot of those guys that, that you're talking about have had great years for us. So it's you know let's. Uh, you know, continue to, to do what we can control. And, uh, you know, th- at the end of the day, if it's, ha- if it happens, it happens, but let's not, let's not put our focus on that. So sort of a- and By the way, a- uh, mind space, the, the Zen master is strong in this one. Yes. Um, so like, you know, if you listen to people like, you know, Ramona talk about it a little bit too, it wasn't a, you know, come on guys. A lot of it is just, you know, buck up. Like this is how the world works. You know, I asked him if it's tough love and he said, not really tough love. It's honesty more than anything, but quit pouting because, you know, look at Larry Nance was a name that popped up in there. And right as those rumors started to come out, his performance started to tank a little bit in ways that you're not accustomed to with Larry. He's been great recently yes, too. Yes, he so has. he's bounced back and Randall has bounced back and all that. So clearly the messaging has gotten through. And if you're trying to figure out where you stand with Walton as a coach and I, I'm, 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 really on board and have been and I'm still on board. This kind of turnaround I think speaks very well to the to the direction the Lakers are trying to go with him in terms of okay, how is he going to handle a culture? What's what's going to develop over the next couple of years here? It makes me feel good about it. No, I mean, look, as somebody who at times I think has questioned Walton more than you but has certainly never called for his head or certainly never said like I mean, the, some of the criticisms, you know, the rotation, some of the questions and the Randall stuff at the beginning of the year was bizarre. And, and at times, too, I think he hasn't always, you know, held solid on some of the messaging in terms of playing responsibly, mm-hmm. but then letting KCP Fair do enough. whatever the hell he wants. But I, I do think just the I think sometimes people got a little bit too defensive just about the idea of questioning Walton's credibility as if he's really accomplished anything as a coach. Like I remember a, f- a few weeks ago, Ben Lyons and I were doing um, a show together, and this was when the David Fisdale rumors were really getting strong. Take that for data. And, and you know, Ben was basically saying, like, what has Luke Walton done that would leave him considered above reproach? Right. Like, and my answer was nothing. Like, you know, the the idea that you could question whether or not you could do better than Luke, or you know, he would be above reproach during the middle of that nine game losing streak is ludicrous. I mean, of course, you should be evaluating Luke during that period. 
And I think sometimes because, you know, the way the world works now, especially when it comes to reactions, is, you know, it's polarized. Like, it has to be either strong one side, strong or the other. Like, people were conflating just questioning Walton as either calling for him to be fired or saying he's going to be fired. And, and I think, yeah, you know, I, I think sometimes that can just get in the way of just discussing what you think he's doing. Sure. But I mean, some of it was because, you know, some of it was the context of the conversation to some degree was, is Luke Walton going to get fired? Oh, no, Has look, Luke and, lost and, the team? Is he and, lost? And, you know? and look, that wasn't just the result of Lavar's comments from Lithuania. I mean, that that stuff was going. No, on. We 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 had asked him about that. That's before. right. I mean, that's and it was had, because the team wasn't right. I mean, saying anything. It, it, that's and it's because the team wasn't saying anything. But it was also too because players on the team were openly talking about not giving effort. I mean, that's also going to lead to people questioning Luke's methodology. But then at the same time, you look at what's happening right now and look at what players have said about the way he's helped with this. And you go back to thinking, all right, he's, he's doing a good, you know, he's doing a good job. He's not irreplaceable. But well, I would look, say, I mean, he, he pointed out himself. If Pop says, I want to coach the Lakers, I'm my, out. The, the real question, I think, is, you know, who out there do you think we've got? That, is it that's David what I, Fizdale? That's what, what I said right to Ben ultimately was, particularly with the Lakers who have been a revolving door at coach and really need to project stability, mm-hmm. particularly at a, particularly at a time when they're trying to get back into the A-list free agent game, if you are going to fire Luke Walton, you better damn sure know who you're hiring and know you're doing it right. Because at this point, you're getting rid of a guy who's considered a really good young basketball mind, and you have had like four different coaches like in the last six years who you're are like, the polar clown, opposites clown, of each other. Right, you're a clown card like, at that point. It, it becomes at that point clear doesn't matter if it's Mitch and Jim. It doesn't matter if it's Rob and Magic. You have no idea what you're looking for. Right. And even if you think some of these other guys are better and whatever, why, would, why do they want the I mean, I get it's the Lakers. You want the job. But why do you want that job if, you know, the coaching fraternity, for whatever it's worth, thinks Luke Walton's doing a very good job? I asked Brad Stevens because whenever there's a young coach in town, I always like to ask them just about their process. Like, how did you learn to establish an identity? I wanted to ask Luke today. There just wasn't enough time because they're getting on a flight. Um, and so, you know, what is your process for establishing like an identity for your team, an identity for yourself as a coach while particularly with a rebuilding group, everything's changing. I think that's one of the, the, the great testaments of what makes Brad Stevens so good is that Celtics roster has been bonkers if you go back to the beginning of his tenure there yeah and from the moment he started that group always play hard they always play well they always play defense and all that this year what is the number it's like two guys or something or three guys on the entire roster are held over from last year not many and like one of them is gershon yabusili who technically was on it's something ridiculous like that and yet every year there's a consistency with how brad stevens does it and what his teams look like I think to do that when your roster turns over all the time is very difficult to do. It's one of the things that's made Pop so good is that, yeah, they've had stability in some of the stars that have been there, but every year San Antonio does it slightly differently. You know, some years they're a run first three point shooting team. Other times they're playing. So, and I, I'm cur- I'm always curious about how that process develops. And I think Luke pulls from Lute Olson and he pulls from. Phil, um, and Phil, Steve Kerr. And Steve Kerr, and he's got a lot of great influences around him. But he's also worked. You know, last year's roster was unstable. This year's roster is unstable. Where they're going is unstable. And I think overall, the ability for him to kind of establish himself as a coach has gone pretty well. 
the type of program that they want to run. Certainly hasn't been an easy setting. Um, all right. You want to get into this week in tea leaves because, uh, yeah, I, it's, it's fascinating. I, I wasn't sure if you were going to bring up your, uh, oh, well, do you want to do that now or do you want to do that after? Well, it, it felt like, uh, okay. I don't want to force it. Like, I think, I feel like if we're going to get into it, we either get into it now or we don't get into it at all. Then we should get into it now. Right. Andy, because I mean, it, look, people think, arguably it should have been the beginning of the show, but I, I don't want to go too far. The lead story, <laughs> our top story. Today. No, I mean, just, think, you just you just set it up. People think this job is easy. Mm-hmm. It's not. Well, I mean, look, it's it's actually apropos <laughs> that this it's actually apropos that this bit of sound is, in my opinion, in the wrong place because <laughs> you're don't, because don't sit you there were, like you aren't in some way in control no, no, of the show. I understand you could have said, hey, Brian, let's open oh, with no, this no, and, no, and then go. All right. So we mentioned that Lonzo's not going to play Mike Bresnahan. You know, we all want to know what's the Lonzo update. And so here, here is all of the Lonzo talk that happened today at practice. And we go through the whole thing and it demonstrates that sometimes the job is, is not easy. Do you have any Lonzo updates for us? Uh, he's doing some things on the court, still no agility, no contact, um, getting better, uh, doing more in the weight room, more in the training room, but still, uh, he's not going to play for tomorrow. Do you think he'll play on this? Buckle in, people. It's about a minute and a half. Yeah, it's, if, if it gets for a little bit. cleared, then yeah, but we're, you know, I'm in, I'm in no rush. Uh, obviously we want him back, but, uh, we're not, we're not going to rush. So far it's so the news. So whenever that day comes that the Luke's not a doctor. clears him to play, he'll play. And if that's on this trip, great. If not, then we'll do it when, when we get home. You guys have been playing pretty good defense. Moving on to a different topic. Right. So, you know, this is, this uh, takes people maybe inside the scrum. This is how we're, you know, Mike Bresnahan asking a lot. He's working for Spectrum. So there, we let him ask uh, three or four questions in a row to make an intact piece of video. And and Luke's, we're talking over Luke because it's not that interesting. Right. They're playing defense. They're working hard. They're going to take that on the road. Okay. Um, that's about finishing off possessions, rebounding, so we can get out and play at our pace. But watch TV it, tonight. It definitely gets more challenging on the road. But I think our guys will be up for that challenge. You think if Power's still here, he would know if Lonzo will be able to play on the trip? Who? If Power were still here, he'd be he'd be able to tell if Lonzo could play on the trip. Huh. He's well, almost a doctor, you know. Would Power know if Lonzo could play on the trip? <coughs> you didn't get the first time. It's uh, 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 oh, Power's yeah. almost a doctor. Yeah. Uh, if you get real smart. Yeah, Power's very intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what happens, Andy? <laughs> I love too, by the way, the way you almost you you're like letting Luke down gently. Oh, you didn't get it. <laughs> like it, the problem wasn't okay. me that I tried to cram in a dry callback joke like 35 seconds after a bunch of other stuff. Andy, was said. Andy, it was about a minute after those things were said. <laughs> right, like you didn't get it. It's it's, it's okay, Luke. It's not look. Some, <laughs> When Chappelle goes out and he tells jokes and the crowd doesn't laugh, it's probably the crowd. Mm-hmm. But it was it was uh it was an awkward moment mm-hmm. where uh it, I it, the joke did not land. No, and that it's like we've all been there, mm-hmm. like where you tell a joke doesn't land, but yet you can't. Like once it happens, it's like we can go. But he he thought there was a real question in there. So to his credit, he's trying to answer me. And I was like, no, 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 no. We don't need to do this. And a couple people understood. Like three or four people came up to me afterwards and they said, I knew what you meant. Mm-hmm. Um, but it didn't work. <laughs> and uh, Luke did not get my joke. And even after I think he, he, he then understood it, he also 
did not think it was funny. No, no. Hey, look. And Luke's got a pretty good sense of humor. He does. And we've been around him a little while and he, you know, I think he, you know, understands that, you know, he didn't land. Um, <laughs> but as Wayne Gretzky once said, you miss a hundred percent of the shots that you don't take. You also sometimes miss the shots that you do take. Um, it, it's right up there with, uh, <laughs> I, I asked Kobe at an exit interview a question once and it, it took a little while to get it out and it was a word salad. And his response was, what the hell's your question? <laughs> Which got you back on point. It did. And you know what? I was like, you know what? I got to try that again. Um, So, yeah, that happened today at practice. (laughs) (laughs) And Oh, it was such a sinking feeling, though. It's like, uh, well, we we don't need to to stay here. We can move on. Just to make sure, and and I'm pretty sure listeners know the difference, but just so it's just crystal clear, it was Brian asking the question, not Andy. I just don't understand why Andy thinks he's so funny that he can walk up to Luke Walton on the day of no. a road trip and let's, do that. Let's make this very it, clear. All right. Well, again, the jokes the, the jokes are, didn't land, and the job is not easy. It happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Anyway, moving on to this week in Tea Leaves. Uh, we always, Basically, every day in Lakerland, it's all about who's coming. LeBron James, things are going very poorly in Cleveland. Oh, yeah. On the floor, Andy, they are losing with big numbers to good teams. They're losing by big numbers to bad teams, and they are, I believe, currently 28th in defense. Uh, Nope, Andy, I I stand corrected. I was not updated after the game the other night. They are 30th. It's 30th. And it's it's not just... That they're playing so badly. They are in Lord of the Flies mode right now. Like people are turning on each other. There's crappy team meetings that aren't effective. They're just finger pointing and blaming Kevin Love for being sick, you know, for, for not sticking around an entire game when he, when he wasn't feeling well. You've got J.R. Smith, who has apparently forgotten how to shoot. Uh, Jay Crowder has been a major disappointment. Isaiah Thomas still isn't close to himself. And you've got LeBron's exit. Hanging over everything, including what could we potentially do to try to fix this thing? Right, and so this is Brian. It is bad. This is Brian Winhorse on the low, uh, the low post podcast, which if you don't listen to it, is like the best basketball podcast. Zach Lowe, Zach Lowe's podcast. This is, I believe, yesterday they yes. as the kids say, it dropped. Uh, this is Wendy on LeBron. What's really pissing LeBron off is that he felt like the Cavs could have gotten Paul George and Eric Bledsoe, and they didn't get him. And now you can bring on executives or you can talk to them off the record and agents, and you can debate whether or not h- how close it was to happening. And then I'm sure if Dan Gilbert would ever speak freely, he probably never will, but he would say, well, I needed LeBron to commit past this year if I was going to trade, you know, and LeBron wouldn't commit. And so therefore it's LeBron's fault this didn't happen. You know, everybody's going to have their own story. I'm just telling you, LeBron is there and he's like, we could have had Eric Bledsoe and Paul George. And instead, we have a draft pick who I'm never going to meet. Well, I don't know about that, but, you know, I'm not meeting him this year. And we have Isaiah Thomas, who is very clearly hampered. And we have Jay Crowder, who's having the worst year of his career. Which, to recap, is not as good as Eric Bledsoe and Paul George. Look, I mean, I'm just going to say, before, I mean, before there were even reports that Kyrie wanted out, I said they should trade Kyrie for Paul George straight up. Yeah, I thought, I thought that at the time. I just all of this 
is one of these things. And now, you know, there, there's basically it divides people into two schools of thought. You do whatever you, you do. You can't possibly trade the pick. You can't do anything. The Brooklyn because pick. The Brooklyn pick, which is, you know, they've held on to, uh, the, the, that's the pick that, that Windhorse was re- referencing. You can't trade it. You can't do all this because he's going to leave and you, you're going to be left with nothing. And, you know, try to convince him. This is Mason's big thing. Uh, you know, Steve Mason's thing. Try to convince him to waive his no trade clause. We'll promise to get you to Houston. We'll, or you have to go all in on everything with the idea that he might leave feeling like this. Cleveland is in a terrible spot because don't forget, and I heard Ramona point this out today. LeBron's still ticked about the whole David Griffin thing. Mm-hmm. Like all of the Kyrie stuff happened. All the Paul George stuff happened. All of this happened after they got rid of David Griffin, after Dan Gilbert got rid of David Griffin, who LeBron loved and really respected. And was, a, and was also working on these deals. Yes. Like he was in the middle of the working Paul George on these deal. deals. And they let him go. Right. And... I mean, and Kobe Altman had to restart the whole thing over, and that's really that's exceptionally difficult, particularly if you've never done the job before. Right, and they call it, it's like you know, wait, I've been on this job for like a week, and wait, what do you want me to do? I got to trade Kyrie, um, and so LeBron is angry, and like this team, I'm sorry, like both of us have learned this lesson, and we both vowed after the Lakers lost in 11, 2011, and they got run out of town by the Mavericks. We spent that whole season. Looking at numbers like this, where the Lakers were not a good defensive team and they weren't good enough offensively, and that there was just too the much. The eye test wasn't good. Either. The eye test wasn't good. They weren't bad. But no, they but were they, not, weren't, they weren't close to championship correct. level. They were not close to three-peat level. Right. The slippage, as Phil Jackson used to say, was palpable. And so you get to this point where like, well, but they've done it so many times, you've got to give them the point of the, they'll turn it on when it counts. And it turns out they couldn't because they just weren't good enough. You do not go from 30th to championship caliber defense, particularly with this you, group, you just don't. With this group, right? There's I mean, they, no. They don't. It, it's one thing, like with the Lakers, when we, you know, you and I, and pretty much everybody else, we're giving them too much of the benefit of the doubt. But part of the reason we we're giving the benefit of the doubt was they still had Kobe in the back end of his prime. They had Pau Gasol. They had Bynum who'd come into same, his own. Same Odom. dudes who did it right. the year before, and, and they they had more talent. Yes. Like you looked at them saying they should they should be able to do this. Defensively, it's difficult to figure out without some deals being made. And, you know, uh, Windhorse said he suspects that this uh, deal where Channing Fry and Amon Shumpert and some picks go to Sacramento for George Hill is going to go through. That'll help him. It'll help but some, not but I mean, that much. Not that much. You look at Cleveland. Trade the pick for DeAndre. You look helps. At, you look at Cleveland, and it's really difficult to figure out how they turn this around with the pieces they have there. It's also, too, I, I was thinking about you know this example with the 2011 Lakers. I was also thinking about another team, Brian, that you and I covered that remind me of what the Cavaliers are going on uh, going through right now. And it was the 2007 Dodgers. Because oh, that, right. It was the, a divided the, the, was club. Was that the trash can year? Uh, it, it was the divided clubhouse year, the kids versus the veterans. Right. And that clubhouse is probably the ugliest locker room We've ever been around. Right. Like Luis regular- Gonzalez was a great guy, everyday veteran mentor, this and that, until he lost his starting gig. And right. Then and, he and you toxic. know, according to, I think it was a report from uh, McMenamin, you've got this divide going on in the Cleveland locker room right now where it's the guys who've been there before, like the OGs and the new guys. And I guess Dwayne Wade would be sort of a grandfathered in OG. And it seems like nobody's with Kevin Love at all, even though he, he's tenured. Banana Republic but, is with Kevin Love. <laughs> as somebody 
as somebody who has been around a clubhouse like that, where it's really just ugly, you don't usually get out of that. Right. And look, I mean, some of it is they are playing so poorly. You know, again, three and a half weeks ago, before the before the start of the new year, whatever it was, when they we were all worried about Cleveland, and they won, they went like seventeen and three. They were beating bad. They were. were, No, I I get it. But I'm just saying, some of it is the the context. You know, everything was terrible with the Lakers when because we were talking about a team that lost nine in a row. If they start winning, certain things change. But the thing about it is, they're just not going to be able to fix themselves defensively. You don't go, like I said, from thirty. Even if everybody's getting along, you don't go from 30 to top 10, which is basically what you need to be, particularly when you got to put Isaiah Thomas on the floor. And well, he, he can't do it. So you were saying with guys not getting along, and this is always my argument of where chemistry matters. It's not the idea that you have to be besties because that means you'll play better if you're best friends. I think the problem with not getting along is you don't have the same impetus and you don't have the same connection mm-hmm. to pull yourself no, out correct. of a period. I agree. No, I agree. I mean, and, and this is a group that does not it, forget not playing for each other at the moment. They don't seem like they want to play for each but other. Here, and, but So this is all good for the Lakers. Sure. Excellent for Lakers fans. The one caveat to it is for I, 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 if I'm Cleveland, I, I go all in on everything. I because mean, look, he's gonna, if he walks, he walks and we'll figure out a way to deconstruct it in the offseason. I don't want to be left with a team where I have to decide Isaiah Thomas at a pretty high deal and Kevin Love and like that's my I don't want that team. So I'm going all in and I'm trading the pick for DeAndre Jordan and I'm trying to get Jordan. I'm doing everything I possibly can to try to keep LeBron around. They're the East is bad enough that they still might get through with some improvement just because Boston is Showing some vulnerability, if nothing else, they can't score. It's really a, a tough team for them offensively, even with Kyrie. Toronto, I think, is super legitimate, but that's one team. You never know. Washington is too consumed with feuding with J.J. Barea, apparently, to win games. Yeah, that, that's when you know your team is not focused. When the only thing they seem to agree on is that we hate J.J. J.J. Barea. And look, Lakers fans don't like him either, no, but, but like, I'm just saying, that, like, you're not focused at Well, that look, point. the last time the Lakers really took issue with J.J. Barea was 2011. They, they were not focused. They were melting down. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, He's there you the, have it. J.J. Barea is the canary in the coal mine. Yes. Um, and Milwaukee's been a disappointment, and you know Miami, kudos to Spo and that, that group but again. They're, they're, no. That team is no. not good. I mean, no. It just shows you how good and, a coach and, and he is. And Philly, I don't think, is ready yet. They're just, I no. don't think and they're No, and so, ready. it's like, okay. I mean, I think Toronto's the best team in that conference right now yes. overall. Yes. But, I mean, could Cleveland beat, could LeBron beat Toronto in the play? Obviously, yes. Yeah. So they could still get through. But here's the, but here's the problem though. The more you just phrase the argument the way you did, could LeBron beat Toronto? You're no, basically, you're, right. you're spelling out what the problem is and what the odds are. All right, so that's all good news for the Lakers in this week in tea leaves. The bad news, because it's always LeBron and Paul George. Paul George has been the guy we've been looking at saying, well, he's probably going to come because he doesn't, you know, what does he want to stay in Oklahoma City for? And, you know, he, he's from here and, and he's going to get along. Well, he was, I guess you could say snubbed in the All-Star game. I hate that word. Um, but when he didn't make it, Russell Westbrook went nuclear on everyone mm-hmm. about how awful it was that Paul George went in there, basically subtweeted out loud. Uh, Damian Lillard and was calling dudes out and all that kind of stuff. And Paul George loved it. You know, man, Russ is the reason why um, this decision is becoming even more 
um, easier to make is, is the character Russ is. Stand-up guy, and he has his teammates back. Um, you know, we was actually joking before he went up there, and I'm like, nah, Russ, man, just, just let it go. Let it go, Russ, man. It's, it's, it is what it is. I wasn't picked. No, man, Pete, that's, that's messed up. I'm going to tell him something about that. Um, you know, it, it was awesome for a teammate to have you back and, and, and stand up. The fact that Russ had my back, um, that's my guy forever. And, um, you know, it's more apparent that, that what this decision needs to be made when it comes down to it. Ah! <laughs> no! Forever. Forever? More obvious now than ever that maybe he means they're both coming. I don't know. Some Russ signed the deal. I don't know. This is terrible. Yeah, Andy. And that was a that was a conversation with Rachel Nichols. Yes. Um, this is terrible news. Here's the thing. I mean, first of all, and, and I don't have the stats in front of me, but uh, if, if you want, just go to uh, Royce Young's uh, Twitter account. Royce uh, covers the Thunder for ESPN. Right. Terrific writer. He's noted on a few occasions for all the drama and hand-wringing about Oklahoma City's start and that you know that the pieces with Russ and George and Carmelo don't fit together perfectly their defense has been great all year yep and since I don't know like Christmas or maybe a little earlier they're way above 500 and their starting lineup you know their their preferred starting lineup of the three stars Steven Adams and Andre Roberson undefeated they're if, they're all, if they're all there, if they have all five of them there, available, all five. Carmelo's gone back and forth a little bit, you know. But the, the no, I mean, all five in in of, in the available in the lineup, in the lineup. In, uh, okay. available in the lineup. They are, I think it was when he put this out, sixteen and zero. You know, which is well, simil- that's good, similar to the Rockets. You know, when they have a re- when they have a re- I think it's a Capella, uh, Chris Paul, and James Harden undefeated when all three are available. And the other thing too that. You know, beyond the fact that the Thunder, I think, have been playing better than they're given credit, just hasn't always been pretty. With Westbrook is not an easy guy to play with. I mean, that has been well established, but he will always put out the vibe that when you are on his team, that dude will go to the mattresses oh, for completely. you. Like you are his dude. And look, maybe it's not always sincere, or it can be more complex than what's on the surface. We saw that with Russ and KD eventually. But whether you're talking about the way he stayed with the Thunder and the things that he said on the way to committing them, you know, whether in print or in commercials or just the way he talks about loyalty in general, he will make you feel Westbrook like you are his guy. And that may be his best, like, recruiting tool as a free agent. And it's and it's self-interested, too, because this Paul George's decision is in part a litmus test on Russell Westbrook. Oh, yeah. Because if George leaves... It's going to, people are going to look at Westbrook and be like, okay, KD wanted out playing next to you. Paul George wasn't willing to stay and play next to you. Might not be fair. He's coming home. He wants to play. Whatever. It's still going to be to some degree a referendum on no Westbrook. Question. No so question. Westbrook gets that, you know, I look, I, I look bad and plus too, I want to win. Uh, my chance of winning are much better for the next four years if, if I got Paul George with me, but he, he needs him to stay. So you hear stuff like this. And George is the one that was the the guy that was coming. So if you're a Lakers fan, overall, this is a net negative. Even though LeBron is is apparently looking like he's not going to stay in Cleveland this week, and that could change next week, 
I don't want to hear Paul George talking about Russell Westbrook as my guy forever and this decision is just getting so much easier and you know like almost like he's already made it Andy it sounds like he's already made yeah. the decision I mean like here's the thing I mean you always have to remember that th- that this stuff is fluid and you know he did not say this in a deposition like you know he's allowed to change his mind he whenever he wants but I will say this and I have no idea if Paul George is aware of this or if he even cares he is setting himself up to be an absolute a-hole if the season ends up good for the Thunder. Western and, Conference Finals, which is and he, certainly viable. And he leaves. Oh, yeah. And again, he may he may not and be not aware, care. he may not care, but he is setting himself up to look like an absolute heel if he leaves a really good team to go to the Lakers or anywhere else. I will say that the one thing that he uses, because like, I, I think Amin was on this morning with the guys and he was at the morning show and he was saying, like you know, he, he told the Tim Thomas story. About when he left Phoenix and came to uh, uh, the, Clippers. the Clippers, and like the Clippers, he said, "I want to. I'm going to stay here forever, and you know, son for life. This system's perfect for me." Blah blah blah. Um, as as Amin relayed the story, the Clippers call up, and they this is him. when uh, I'm sure Amin was part of the Suns front office, correct? And so you know, it, the Clippers offer him a boatload of money, it's 24 million dollars over like three years or something like that, or 40, whatever it was at the time, it was a lot of money for Tim Thomas, too much money as it turned out. The difference is, it's a bad example because the Suns were like, we don't want to pay him that much. Oklahoma City can give Paul George more money than the Lakers can. And not only are they willing to do it, they've basically already told him that they will. So he's, you know, it's not like they have that trump card of, well, we can just go over the top like a team could with Julius Randle this summer. Like, Paul George... You know, there's more money there. In theory, he could win there and all that stuff. So to your point, the one thing that might actually save him a little bit is he'd actually be leaving money on the table to come here so you could play the homecoming card or something like that really, really hard. But overall, his reputation would take a ding because you're leaving a winning situation for a lesser situation unless you believe Andy. This is a playoff push the Lakers are making. Uh, by the way, too, a really, really quick. You're, wait, you're not going to entertain my idea that the Lakers are pushing really their way to the playoffs with with, uh, with Tim Thomas and the Suns and the Clippers. <laughs> this this was in, I believe, 2006. 2006 I believe, Two, yeah. It was in 2006. It happened in the off season. Uh, Tim Thomas had been a member of the Suns. He hit those shots against the Lakers, eliminating them in the first yep. round. Then he hit big shots against the Clippers, eliminating them. And I remember this around this time, Vlad Rodmanovic reneged on a promise to re-sign with the Clippers and ended up going to the Lakers. And I remember as that was happening... More money than he should have gotten. Right. right. As that was happening, I remember I was like at my desk doing work and I saw news about this. I was like, okay, Clippers, don't panic. Don't do something stupid like (laughs) the news breaks. Sign Tim Tim Thomas Thomas. to a long-term Tim Thomas is one of those guys who should only have been allowed to sign one-year deals. Oh, no. I used to to always say, you can't do this in the NBA... But you want Tim Thomas on a month to month lease. Right. Like, like, ba- like, you know, like some apartments that you can get, like, on a month to month lease. Like a CD motel. <laughs> yes. We're you, paying you by the week. Yes. You, you, you give Tim Please Thomas. Please don't like, bring any hookers back at night. Him, but you give him a week, you know, a weekly envelope. <laughs> like, that's how you, you don't even give him a contract. Just an envelope full of cash. Right. And the equivalent. Know, yeah. He's a perfectly nice guy, but you know, you, that's a guy that you need to keep constantly motivated. And I remember just thinking that is the best panic decision. I've ever seen. <laughs> so clever. It was, it was so, so clever. You, you, you could see the wrong decision, the wrong choice here, yep. the wrong response was 
in neon. But it also, was like, this is this has just happened. This would be the worst thing you could do. And of course, because they're moths attracted to light, mm-hmm. the Clippers at that point went right to but it. But I also too, I literally vocalized, yeah. it, like talking to myself. I said, "Okay, Clippers, don't do anything stupid." Like signing yeah. Tim Thomas well, to was, a long that was deal. the uh, that was an era of basketball, even more than now. And people say, "Oh my God, these guys! Everybody makes so much money." Like back then. Like, that was the you get a car, you get a car, you get a car for like Jerome James, Jerome James and Bobby Simmons. Yes. Like every Mike fourteen James. million dollars for everyone. You yep. just, thank you for coming. Um, all right, so that was it, it's it is going to get crazy when uh, we start talking about the uh, free, when it comes to the free agent speculation. Well, just the trade the trade deadline, trade deadline in itself in, may be a referendum on, on how teams are feeling about. Where themselves. we certainly know Paul George will not be traded by the oh, trade deadline. No. That looked like a thing in mm-hmm. October. It's yeah. no longer a thing. No. Um, all right. So let's talk about the Oscars. And this year, there's an interesting bridge from the basketball talk to the Oscar talk in the sense that Kobe Bryant has been nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. Uh, Dear Basketball um, has been uh, nominated for Best Animated Short. Uh, Kobe is listed, along with Glenn Keane, the animator, as, I guess, the guys who would win the Oscar. Because there, there'd been some confusion about whether or not Kobe would actually win an Oscar for this. Like, I guess, like if his title was high enough. Right. Or like what the deal was. Right. Like, you know, for, I, I don't know how things work in that category, but I don't either. for like a, a movie, it's usually like the producer. Like, yes. Is, the, right. The best picture goes up and takes the award. Right. But, uh, Kobe, along with Glenn Keane, has been nominated for Dear Basketball, which is a really amazing achievement. There were, I, yeah. I remember the, the cut down period where Kobe made, uh, Dear Basketball made the final 15. There was apparently an unusually high amount of submissions that year. So this getting through, you know, we, we told people a lot, Brian, you know, there was a, there was a, when Kobe was on the retirement tour, there was a lot of questioning about what, you know, how he would handle life he's not, post basketball. He's not Andy. People say, we're saying he wasn't going to stay retired. Right. He wasn't going to stay retired. He's going to make like, a comeback. He, he's just too competitive. He's not going to be able to deal with life away from basketball. And we kept insisting, folks, he's going to be fine. <laughs> be okay. I mean, he's been working on people. The, the the silver lining for Kobe with the Achilles injury, he's sort of talked about this, is it gave him a lot of downtime to really invest. He was always going to be somebody who would keep himself busy and and stay focused on other things. And this is I how think he is. Walk away from basketball yeah. without any regrets. You and I always thought he'd walk away clean. Totally. But that time when he couldn't really do anything, and then the knee injury and all this other stuff, and then the Lakers were terrible and he just didn't need to play anymore. It gave him a lot of time to work on stuff like this and really dial in. Here's what I want to do. Here's how I want to do it. I'm going to create a muse cage and I'm going to make a little snake. <laughs> and, and look, similar to trying to tell jokes to Luke Wall, not everything hits. I, that snake, I don't, I don't think it's great. And the muse cage is something I'm going to make fun of forever. The flip side of that is Andy Kobe Bryant has made one animated short film, mm-hmm. basically. For like mass consumption, and it's been nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, and he and he, went, and he, and went, he got John Williams, and he got Glenn Keane. Yeah, and it's very typical of Kobe in that he's going to find you know the best people for something like this. You know, as you know, Kobe has one hell of an ego. You know, rightly at least yes. when he comes on the court, and he's very very smart, and he's somebody that's always going to be supremely confident. But what I think Kobe has always been smart about is identifying the people that know more than me and I'm going to latch on to them. Yes. Which is smart. It's the way, you I'm know, use it, my it, access to get myself to the best possible people. John Williams is 
but I mean, John is Williams just he the broke, best. He broke he the his best own composer. In the, I don't know, but he's he he's is like the, the most successful. Yes, he is the most successful. He is with the, the Star Wars score. He broke his own record for most nominations. Right. He is the preeminent yes composer in film. He, he's the guy. He's the one guy, maybe other than maybe Randy Newman, when it comes to scores that like the average film goer knows who he is. Look, and, and by the way, if Kobe wrote a movie that had lyrics, Randy Newman probably would have sure. done it. Um, so, what I, I think what's fascinating about this too becomes how do you construct the? I mean, you can. I saw you do this on Twitter the other day. It's it's the, the egot. The egot for Kobe is actually you, there's a fairly linear way to do it. But I want to create a whole new category for him where you have like the egot that somehow includes like an MVP and a DPOY. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, like I mean, all, all all NBA defensive teams. Well, like, I I don't I don't want to do that because I feel like that's unfair to the people who didn't play in the NBA. <laughs> I mean, like that's true. I mean, that, like I'm not going to penalize narrow- like Rita Moreno does not deserve <laughs> to fall short of this. Because she never played right. better. I mean, pro- there wasn't better even a producers, WNBA then. Right. Better producers, like name you know, you know directors and producers or right. whatever. Uh, that guy or Kobe, because Kobe <laughs> yeah. uh, won a scoring. Yeah, title. That, that's completely unfair. <laughs> Sorry, Scorsese. That's completely unfair. Okay, fair I'm enough. I'm not doing that. Uh, my suggestion was for the, for the EGOT, uh, Eric Pincus, uh, Bleacher Report, wondered uh, on Twitter how he would do it. My thing was, I thought this was pretty easy. You turn Dear Basketball into a Broadway play. Which, by the way, they're doing for everything. Right. If you could bring back Murphy Brown 30 years later, which CBS is doing, you can take Dear Basketball right. and turn it into so a play. So that ends up on Broadway. It wins a Tony. Then it's by Rainy Newman. Right. And then, uh, there you go. Uh, Dear Basketball gets adapted into a Netflix series in which it ends up winning an Emmy because Kobe plays a supporting role. And I put this out on Twitter. The choices would be as far as acting challenge, Kobe at all ages... <laughs> Shaq puts on like 175 pounds and plays Shaq. Smush Parker, like he's, the total he's invoice. doing the Eddie Murphy and yeah. coming to America. The, the total invo- uh, inverse of Kobe. So that's a hell of an acting challenge. Or he plays Phil. <laughs> like one of those four. Kobe wins an Emmy. Wins an Emmy. Then he, or he could get, or he could just produce it and win the Emmy. No, but I, I want to take or this fun, up a notch. Right. I want to take this up a notch. Right. And then he ends up winning his Grammy for narrating the audiobook of a 2026 medical journal by Powell. <laughs> Tying it full circle, which yes. is why, by the way, Luke Walton should have understood my joke. Mm-hmm. Well, or phrase it better. No, or, or. <laughs> Luke should so have understood. The, so there's Kobe's egot. Rodrigo understood it, and I don't think it's that complicated. Pete from Lakers Film mm-hmm. Room understood yeah, 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 it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Stop trying to defend yourself. Andy, Pete got it. <laughs> Pete's my boy. <laughs> Thank you, Pete. Um, Everyone, go check out Pete's website. It's interesting too. Like, um, and and I, I don't want to put this out there, so it sounds like we're dredging up the past, but it's an interesting question with the Oscars right now. What's going oh, on right, in Hollywood? Yeah. Um, on Mason and Ireland yesterday, uh, Mace and John were talking about, uh, this announcement or a couple days ago, whenever the Oscars were earlier announced. this week. And it raised the question of with, with Me Too and th- this focus on sexual assault, sexual harassment, um, you know, and in particular the focus that's going on in the entertainment industry, whether or not Kobe would actually attend the Oscars because of what happened in Colorado and reopening right. questioning He's going. with that. He's going. Uh, Kobe will be at the – I would be shocked if he skipped it because of that for two reasons. First of all, it's a different press. And uh, Colorado is a while ago. It was a different press It's uh, that covers this event, although there will be more sports people there because of Kobe. But overall, it's an entertainment. 
I'm not totally positive. Everyone, someone will remember to ask him that. Oh, I, oh, no, but no, I'm not sure everybody e- will. No, no, everyone will remember. I don't know if they will. Everyone will. Yeah, are you talking with like six weeks leading up to this? That's true. Everyone is going to remember. So, but I think the answer is fairly, there's been nothing that's been written or said about Kobe or anything like that. I and mean, I'm not, I'm not getting into the, the veracity of what happened in college. I don't know. I wasn't there. Right. My own ideas, but. It's wild speculation. I'm not doing that here. Since then, you haven't heard anything. I mean, not to that level. It comes up every now and then. Colorado comes up now and then, but there have been no... But it's a di- subsequent, but it's a different, it's a different, envi- it's a different environment right. that'll be stepping into. No, and also too, that. it's so top of moment. You know, for example, there is I, again, a lot of, there's a lot of speculation that James Franco didn't, didn't end get, up getting right, nominated this year for the disaster, disaster artist artists. because of accusations really of sexual misconduct. Um, but those are, but the difference is this, and this is what I was getting at. The stuff with Kobe happened longer ago and that hasn't, Obviously, Woody Allen, we're still talking about that, and Dustin Hoffman, the stuff has been. But part of what makes these things stickier and makes them more damaging is a pattern. And it wasn't one person yes. who accused James Franco of of impropriety. It was a few people of different kinds of stuff. And you know, we've known James Franco, at the very least, is a weird dude for a long time. It's it's when you start it, – were there – if it was Colorado – and then something else in 2009, right. something else in 2011, where there was this sort of pattern. Then I think of it. So what Kobe can do is he can go there, and I think this is what his answer will be, is what I was accused of doing in Colorado, raping this woman, didn't happen. I behaved poorly towards her. I was you know, shameful towards my wife. He can basically give the speech he gave um, you know, when he came back. And I believe and respect, you know, the women sure. and, and all these things. And I don't think it's going to be a big deal. I, I certainly look, don't think he's not going to show no, up. I, I think he will go. And I'm, I'm not suggesting he shouldn't go. I'm not suggesting that he should be grilled. I just thought it was an interesting question. Just it's, because, you're right, though. It, just you're, because it of will the come cli- up. because of the climate right now. And look, it's it's a climate that was, you know, long overdue in you know it's in its exploration no and question. coming to light i mean this is something that is need to, needed to be explored in all industries you know in all walks for of sure life, not just entertainment it's just it is so top of mind right now in hollywood he'll so, have an answer right so i thought it was an interesting it, question. it is an interesting question i i think the the notion needs to get but the, the kobe's smart enough to know what's probably coming and have the answer right and I, I think the answer is an easy one to give um in the context of of sort of what happened, plus the time. Well, I, the, the separate question where we don't need to get into it tonight or today that would be is is amazing to kind of think about. It's just what it would have been like if that happened today. Yeah, in a social media age, how much different that story would have been. The other thing, like the Michael Jordan father's death and I, all of these stuff. I'm going to make though related because I agree he's going to he's going to. Yeah, attend. you're you're right about. It. I, I may have under yeah. I may he's have, going I may to have underestimated. The amount of chatter about that. Yeah, he's going to attend, and I, I will make a prediction, two predictions right now that are going to end up happening, um, you know, relating to his attendance and also to reaction. He will have people, and I'm talking A-list stars, he will make people there legit starstruck. Oh, it's going to be, a, it, yeah. he, Kobe, like, Kobe will have legit starstruck reaction around him, and then you will see a reaction of people calling out Hollywood for its hypocrisy during a Me Too movement with people fawning over Kobe because of the accusations. Fairly or not, 
you're going to see that. Something to watch. Uh, one more uh, Oscars thing I want to we want to get into. Last year, the big every every year a, a, a film becomes the the backlash, the film. leading but the leading candidate to win, and it wins the SAG Awards and it wins the Globe, Golden Globes, and it, it, does it well blows festivals, up and everybody loves it. And then the backlash inevitably comes. Last year it was La La Land, which people decided I think was sort of too soft, and it was in a year where people were very focused on diversity and what wasn't getting nominated and what wasn't winning. And there was a lot of doom and gloom in the air for a lot of people right. because of the presidential transition. No question. And La La Land was sort of, I think people thought it was a little too fluffy. It's too, and it was too fluffy, too, too white. white. Um, it was too white-splaining jazz for a lot of people, which right. I didn't think was really fair. But nonetheless, and that I think created some backlash that probably nothing else helped pave the way for Moonlight winning, which I don't have an issue with because I think Moonlight's a really good movie right. and it's it's very I haven't original. watched I have not seen La La Land all the way through I thought but Moonlight's so good Moonlight's it, really good I mean look I think I think La La Land is a good movie I think it came at I mean it obviously enjoyed tons of success right. I'm not I'm not you know taking out my violins for it but uh as far as winning best picture I think it was a movie that came at the absolute wrong time. Yeah. And so this year's Backlash movie, and it won the SAG Award for Best Picture, and it won the Golden Globe for Best Picture, I believe. Or Well, it wouldn't win the SAG Award for Best Picture. For maybe Best Movie, whatever it is. Whatever the... Francis McDormand won and and, Sam Rockwell won. But I thought the movie... Did they not give movies? It was just Golden Globe. It might have been Ensemble Cast. Okay. Um, But either way, it's won a ton of stuff. Yes. Um, Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. That's the new Backlash yes, movie. Is. And what's fascinating about it, though, is the difference between last year's Backlash and this year's. And we we were just having this conversation yesterday with a friend of ours. We were sitting eating lunch. I do not like recap culture. I do not. I think too much of that, like, it's it kind of sometimes critics bug me, too. Like, when they take something that's it's, it's either sort of entertaining or it's not, and they feel the need to explain to me why I'm stupid for liking this. Because even something like Game of Thrones, Andy, which I know you don't like, I've which is seen it, right, well, don't watch, I should say. Right, you wouldn't like it. <laughs> it doesn't too, seem it's like much it's my jam. Dragons and magic it doesn't and seem it's like not, it's my jam, it's not, but you, it's not your thing. Um, even something like that, which is incredibly well done, and this massive pop culture thing that touch point that so many people are involved is ultimately it's a pop show. And it's for mass consumption and enjoyment and all that kind of stuff. And I either kind of like it or I don't. I don't want to be told that I don't. I actually think the backlash around three billboards, to me, illustrates the value of critics. Mm -hmm. Because I went and saw it, and it is universally well-acted. Sam Rockwell, I think, is— I wouldn't agree with that. Okay, I think. I thought Sam Rockwell was very good. That's where I really disagree. Okay, that's fine. I thought— I. I, in hindsight, I have more problems with his character than his portrayal of the character. I have problems with both. Okay. <laughs> I think Frances McDormand is amazing. I think she's really good, uh, Brian. I, I don't think the script gives her enough to do. And as a result, I think her performance – she's one of my absolute favorite actresses. You know, I think she's amazing and pretty much – she's one of the most reliable mm-hmm. people in Hollywood. And she's certainly not bad by any stretch in this role. I think she could have been better – if her character had been written better or if she I, had been directed better. I would agree. But over, I mean, I, and I. Woody Harrelson's I, very Woody good. Woody Harrelson is fantastic. Um, I think the. I, Real even, quick. Even down to the. Well, hold on one second. Just even down to the, the girl who plays, uh, 
the the ex husband's girlfriend. Yes. Um. And and what's and John Hawks? John Hawks. He's always always good. good. Um, and that girl and, and was the kid really good. Who's, uh, blowing up. I think his name is like. Caleb Landry Jones, right? Who uh, plays Francis McDormand's son? No, no, uh, no. That that's the guy. He's, also he's Lucas Hedges. He was the one from Manchester by the Sea. Okay, that's right. who you're referring to. Cable, uh, I think his name is Caleb Landry Jones. He's the guy who owns the sign business. Oh, right. Okay. And he's he's been in a he was in Get Out. He's right. he's really starting to blow up. He's very good. Right. So the point, you know, I thought up and down the cast, the performances were really good, and you know, Woody Harrelson was great. And I like Francis McDormand obviously more than you did. When I first watched the movie, I was like, I was sort of carried by the performances to the point where, and even I recognized some of those, like, there are a few moments in that movie where, like, really? I want to give it away if people haven't seen it. Well, just pause if you haven't seen it. Right. We're going to, look, we're going to get into some spoilers. If you haven't seen the movie, just don't listen to this part. Um, I forgot. It's not live radio. Um, You know, some of the stuff, like Francis McDormand's accuracy in bombing the, you know, the thing, the, the fact that. Uh, Sam Rockwell throws a guy out a window and doesn't get arrested, like in front of his own police station, doesn't get arrested for that. There are things like that. His transformation at the end seems kind of out of nowhere. It doesn't feel earned. It does not feel earned. I I would agree with that. It does Um, not feel feel earned I would agree with that. A lot of, I mean, there are a lot of moments like that where you go, yeah, like plot wise. I don't think it's the best movie I've seen this year. No. But I thought it was good. I start the backlash, quote unquote, comes. And what I thought was really valuable, again, the value of critics is they pointed out not in a this is not. It know, wasn't haughty. Right. It's not like because this is a movie. That, La La Land was, I think, fun. It was. Yes. It was supposed to be uplifting. It was when it was creative. I thought right. La La Land was a very creative spin on the old musicals in a modern setting. Yes. Um, you know, I, I agree with the criticism that, you know, especially Ryan Gosling, but I guess to some degree, Emma Stone, they're not outstanding singers, but they're both good actors. Mm-hmm. And I think they managed to make the characters interesting, even though neither one of them is Hugh Jackman, who, you know, who is spectacular at that sort of stuff. I've seen The Greatest Showman. You know, he is really, that's his wheelhouse. He's like a right. Tony winner. Um, but like three billboards is set up to be a much larger, Social statement. It is yes. that it is a movie that is trying to make a point. It has a a drama to it, and the characters are constructed in a certain way, and it's trying to say certain things. And so, when you do that, you open yourself up to, I think, legitimate criticism about whether or not you're successful. And I thought, you know, Wesley Morris and other people like that who have written about this movie illustrated the flaws in the Sam Rockwell character in. Um, the the role that race plays generally in this and how it's used as <laughs> As a prop. As a prop. Um, I mean, they don't do anything. That made me think, you know what? This is Crash. You know, this movie you know in I, a lot of ways, but just in the same way where like the you watch it the first time, you're like, first time I watched Crash, I was like, I like this movie. It, the more you watch it, the more you think about it, but then you realize it's problematic and it's not as good. Right. And that to me is like, but it was also trying to make a larger statement about things. It was a deeper movie, a more ambitious movie in that way. And I thought the criticism of this one, the backlash against Three Billboards, I think is deserved. Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, and it's interesting too, like with, with the timing, the timing, I think, of Three Billboards initially worked tremendously well in its favor because it started to gain buzz earlier this year, you know, do, at all the festivals. And I think some of that had to do with the timing of we were just entering, you know, the, the Trump presidency, which had, you know, 
say the least, a lot of people angry, but also it's a, you know, it was really a controversial. Really ticked off a lot of women. Right. Ticked off a lot of women. You have a movie where you have this really angry woman who is angry at the world in a way that I don't think entirely works for the script, but she, she wants her voice heard. Yes. It's taking place in Trump country. It's got, you know, it's got this backdrop they don't really do anything with, but of white police abusing black citizens. So th- there's a lot of topicality that came at the right time, I think, to help build the buzz. And then eventually, I think people started really scrutinizing the movie more. But, um, you know, it's you, you mentioned Crash. Crash is a clumsy movie, but Crash at least is attempting to do something with race, attempting to actually explore it. And you can say it fails in its exploration, but it's at least trying to do something. Three Billboards isn't really trying no, to not do with anything. Race. I mean, I think there are issues of you know policing and and it's and all, retribution. The movie, the movie is all, all over the place. It is. I just the, the 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 comparison I made with Crash is really just in the sense sure. of it. Well, it's, it's on more, first viewing, you think it's something different than it is. Well, when you also keep too, I think it. with Crash, the the comparison comes in because Crash won Best Picture, which is considered by most people in hindsight to be a tragedy. They think uh, Brokeback Mountain should have ended up winning, or and something th- else, not Crash. And I think Three Billboards, which has been considered one of one of the front runners. I, I think Shape of Water is probably considered the strongest now, and, is, and if, is a better movie. But if Three Billboards ends up winning. I think it's going to be looked at in the same vein of crash of, you know, a hindsight mistake. Really quick, another theory I have with uh, Three Billboards would have been a better movie if Sam Rockwell and Woody Harrelson switched roles. Because I think Woody Harrelson would have been way more believable in Sam Rockwell's role and I think would have brought more depth to it. And I think Sam Rockwell would have been playing more to what I – and I like Sam Rockwell – I think he would have been playing more to what he does better. I just didn't find him believable. I just thought, I, I, I thought, but I think people could see it. I thought the problem with the Sam Rockwell character was the character, not the, not the, not the performance. I think it's both. He's drawn in as 17 different things at yes. once. Yes. And some of the, most of the really moments no, revolve they're, they're around sc- him and the behavior and, sure. and all that. So, but the other thing that I thought was, Kind of amazing about this year, because and this this gets to I don't know if we'll have time to get to this one. Maybe we'll save it for another one. Because I was gonna, I had a question about Black Panther, which is not out until February. We can save it. Uh, we'll save it. Screen pl- uh, 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 cinematography nominations. Yeah. Uh, the what, in the name of the woman, Rachel who, Morrison. Rachel Morrison got nominated for Mudbound, mm-hmm. which I have not finished. I've started it, and it is gorgeous. She is the first woman to ever be nominated. It's now amazing. I know. Look, I I I understand, and like the, the there have been some, I guess, people criticizing, you know, the SAG Awards, and and people were it was too focused on, and you know, all the presenters are now all women. It's like okay, what? They've been making movies for a long time. She's the first woman to be nominated for an Oscar in that category. And I'm not talking about winning. Nominated, and this that was shocking. shocking. It shouldn't have been, I guess, but it was. It's pretty shocking, but also it's really important because often the way that you take a path towards directing is through cinematography. You know, shooting a movie, and you know, everyone always focuses on diversity in film, usually with the actors and the ethnicity of actors, and And then after that, the directors. Yeah. And obviously you want, you know, better roles for, for actors of color and stuff like that. And it matters. You want representation of a real world. But what really I think will make a difference in diversity and representation 
in the industry is the stories being told. And that's going to come when you see more people of color or women shooting films, more of them directing films. Greta Gerwig getting this nomination for directing is really important. Um, uh, Jordan Peele as a black director, there haven't been many. By the way, too, with Jordan Peele for Get Out, forget just getting nominated for his directorial debut, which is impressive. Yes. When you think about how few live-action films Jordan Peele has even been a part of, like even just spending time on a set. Like if you look at his IMDb page, he's only done like two or three movies. Like he's done a ton of TV, but TV and movie aren't aren't the same thing. That is extraordinarily impressive. Yeah, it is. Like I, you know when when Co- when Kevin Costner for Dances with Wolves and Robert Redford for Ordinary People won Best Director for their directorial debut. It's obviously impressive, but they had both spent you know like decades on film sets. Like Jordan Peele has barely been in that world. Yeah, it's 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 cool to see stuff like and look. And I think the the biggest the biggest change that will help is in terms of recognizing things through nominations is the broadening of the academy base. And like mm-hmm. I think so, I heard on the radio the other day, it's something like seven hundred new people have been admitted yes. to the academy, and you know a vastly higher percentage of women, a vastly higher percentage of minorities and all these people who are going to expose and and give you just a broader picture of what's happening in the world uh, of Hollywood. And for anybody who's sitting back there saying, you know, because this is true, you don't want a movie to get nominated for an Oscar or a person to get nominated uh, as a director specifically because they're a woman. Like the the movie doesn't deserve it. uh, The the performances don't, whatever it is. You don't want that. It is, though, perfectly legitimate, given where we've come from and given what Hollywood looks like in, in critical places, to say, to make sure that you're examining every one of these, there aren't that many, it won't take you that long, female-directed movies, uh, black-directed movies, whatever it might be, to make sure you're not missing them. Yes. And that, I think, is the big thing. Is it's 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 not that people, I think, are looking for makeup nominations. It's that they're looking to make sure that their work isn't being ignored. And when you have, in 2017, the first female cinematographer being nominated, it's not because 250 other female cinematographers have been ignored for the last 190 years of Oscars. It's that there are probably only four of them. Yeah. And that's the problem. You know, Mm -hmm. there just aren't enough of these women who were given the opportunity to do it. So hopefully this starts to change it. I am, I am, I'm more interested in the Oscars this year yeah. than I have been in, in the last few years just because the movies are more interesting, the the subplots around the movies are a little more interesting. It's an, it's an interesting time both in Hollywood, but also it's an interesting time just in the in the country. Yeah. And you know how people are going to react to what will inevitably be a very politicized Oscars. And you know they they always are to some degree. Right. But, but, this is, it's but I mean, be... you know, last year's really was, and this year's, I'm sure, will even be more. Yep. So we'll see how that goes. Well, obviously, we're big movie people, and I, my hope is to have – I haven't seen everything on the list, but I hope to have most of it done by then. Um, I have seen The Shape of Water. I loved it. That's, that's still what like I need to see. I still oh, yeah, need to see it. Yeah, we have screeners. Um, all right. So Lakers go on the road. Um, LeBron is coming. Paul George is not and three billboards may not win Best Picture. And probably shouldn't. That is your summary. And I, uh, Luke Walden doesn't think I'm funny. <laughs> <laughs> See everyone next week.